0: Welcome to the Unconventional RD Podcast, where we inspire dietitians to think outside of the traditional employment box and create their own unconventional income streams. We'll talk all things online business to help you start, grow, and scale your own digital empire. You guys, I am so freaking excited about this episode. Today, I'm interviewing the one and only Melissa Groves Azero founder of thehormonedietitian.com. Melissa is a dietitian who specializes in helping women with PCOS polycystic ovarian syndrome. After working with many, many women one-on-one, Melissa decided to create an online course to serve her audience. And in this episode, Melissa walks us through how she came to that decision, how she learned to create an online course, and all the methods she used to validate and sell her course successfully. And spoiler alert, Melissa's last launch generated more than $60,000 in sales. Yes, $60,000! And for some of you, that may be more than you're earning in your current full-time job. And my hope today in this episode is to first of all inspire you that this is possible. It is possible for every single dietitian out there who wants to create passive income through an online course. If Melissa could do it, so can you. It is fully possible to make six figures and more every single year from a digital course that you sell to your audience online. And that's not even counting all the other possible income streams that you could layer on top of that. I also hope that this episode takes away some of the intimidation factor around online courses. Melissa so generously shares with us the exact steps she took to create and launch her course. So hopefully you can start to see how you could very much do the same. So without further ado, let's start chatting with Melissa. Hi, Melissa. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. I am stoked to talk about your online course launch success.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I I have to say I spend so much time on podcasts talking about PCOS and hormones and fertility that it's actually super fun for me to get to talk about my business.
0: Yes. Well, happy to oblige. So I feel like I kind of, I've known you in some ways, like via Facebook or the internet for a few years now. So I feel like I kind of know your story, but I'm guessing a lot of my listeners don't know your whole backstory. And I think it's super interesting how you sort of transitioned from a totally different field into dietetics and just started like killing it. Like I see you as a dietitian who was like, this is what I want to do. And then you went out and you made it happen. So can you kind of guide us through your journey into headaches and where you are now?
1: Yeah, it's kind of funny and same. Um, I think that I first came across you Googling how to start a nutrition practice, and I, I somehow stumbled upon your income reports, and I thought that was super inspirational, and then when I found your Facebook group, you know, yeah, so that was years ago, like probably around three years ago. Um, So, yes, I worked in, first of all, my first degree was in English and dance, making me highly unemployable, basically. (laughs) Um, But I was in New York City and I was working in medical advertising. And so I had never really known that I liked science. Um, you know, I kind of had like one anatomy class and I, I didn't realize that it was something that I would find interesting. And then all of a sudden I'm working on these targeted oncology drugs and, you know, just getting into, um, you know, biochemistry and all of that. And, you know, advertising is kind of crazy. I was a copywriter and I worked my way up the ladder. I was a VP by the age of 32. Um. So I was kind of killing it, but you know, to be fair, I was killing it in advertising. Um, but I was burning out. It was you know ninety-hour weeks, week after week. It was a lot of travel. My clients were in Switzerland, so I was you know not home more than I was home. And um, it's funny, I. I Ran the New York City Marathon in 2008 and I was going to run it again in 2009. I qualified and I just got to the point in my training where I was like, I don't want to run it again just to run it. Um, And I haven't had time to train adequately because I've been on the road or working till midnight or all the things. Um, And so I just got to the point where I was like, I'm sacrificing too much for this job what can I do instead? And so I I kind of describe it as like a duh moment where I'm sitting in my living room and I'm looking at my four bookshelves full of, you know, food politics and cookbooks and nutrition and diet books and all the things. And um, so that was when I started researching what it would be like to go back. And so I planned to go back for a master's in nutrition I started taking all the prereqs online while I was still working mostly part-time in advertising um, and then I kind of I, my parents had moved up to New Hampshire in the meantime and I came up here to kind of decide like which grad school I was going to go to I hadn't fully decided. um, And I just fell in love with it up here. I I didn't grow up here. So I didn't know anything about it. And at the time, um, UNH did not have a master's in nutrition. So I ended up just going back and finishing the last two years of um, the schooling I needed there to get the BS. And then I matched with their internship as well. And then I met guy, a New Hampshire (laughs) local guy. And so, so now I'm here. Um, So yeah, it's been, it's been kind of a journey. um, But I really feel like so many of my skills from advertising, you know, especially copywriting, are so applicable to our field. So I think that's kind of why it's it's almost a little bit of an unfair advantage that I've had when it comes to understanding marketing and ideal clients and how to talk to them.
0: Well, I can't wait to hear more about the details on that. So, okay, you became a dietitian, and then how did you end up becoming an entrepreneur?
1: I did not plan to (laughs) at all. You know, um, so like most recent graduates, uh, since there's basically no full-time jobs out there for dietitians, I kind of cobbled together three different um, part-time jobs to make ends meet. Uh, one of them, I was working as a retail dietitian, which it was so super fun. I loved that job. Um, I was working in a rehab facility, and then I was working um, part-time in a local functional medicine dietitian's office, um, and that did not work out, <laughs> um, and I, I really could not stay there, so after about... I don't even think it was three months. I was like, I need to get out, and um, that was when I was like, okay. I have never really thought about doing my own practice before, but like now I know what that looks like and how doable it is. Um, I didn't, I didn't really know. I, I kind of knew a little bit at the time that I didn't want a small town in person practice where I just saw insurance clients you know, one after another for five days a week. That's not me. I'm a huge introvert. So I need um, downtime after, like I find client days really draining, um, you know, good and and definitely, you know, hopeful and exciting, but also draining. And I need that, that downtime. Um, so that was, I opened my practice in January of 2018.
0: Okay. And so it was always virtual?
1: Um, I had an in-person office two days a week, uh, but from the beginning, most of my clients have been virtual. And, you know, before COVID, I was at like 95% virtual. I have, you know, if I have a local client, it tends to be um, someone whose mom found me. I, I, you know, my local clients tend to be like the high schoolers who were, Kind of just diagnosed with PCOS, and their moms don't know what to do, so they come across me. Um, but yeah, now I'm 100% virtual. I may never go back.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I feel you. <laughs> what? How did you decide on PCOS? PCOS as your niche?
1: Yeah. So that same practice I was working in, um, I saw all of the clients who came in for weight loss. So. From a functional medicine perspective, you are doing the deeper digging to find out why they're having trouble losing weight when you're looking at their diet and their exercise and you're like, something's not adding up. And what would almost always come back was there was some sort of hormone imbalance, you know, whether they had low thyroid or high cortisol or this condition called PCOS. And... Um, as I learned more about it, uh, it just, I really felt like these women were, were not being served by conventional medicine and nutrition and lifestyle can play such a big role. And when I was starting my practice, you know, you want to pick a niche, but you want to pick a big enough niche that it's going to be successful. And, you know, with an estimated 10% of women having PCOS, it's a pretty significant niche.
0: So you just you just were like this is it and you picked that from the jump and it worked out.
1: Yeah, for the most part. Um, you know, I definitely see my practice broadening in the future to include more hormone imbalances because you know PCOS is not my my own personal <laughs> hormone struggle, but um, I know there's there's other places I could help as well. But for now, that was you know, it kind of makes everything streamlined and easy when you focus on mainly one thing.
0: I'm not even sure if this is how you feel, but just looking in from the outside, it seems like having that clear niche, like even from the jump, probably helped you excel very quickly because you're very clear on your messaging and you're like, this is who I help. And it just seems like you just have a good handle on your business and that side of it. Do you think that's true?
1: I yeah. I spent a lot of time, um, especially in the beginning, defining my ideal customer avatar. Um, I spent a lot of time talking with them and interviewing them, and uh, it it pays back because I I'm constantly every day I'm hearing you know a response to an email I sent or. Um, a comment on an Instagram post saying it's like you're inside my head
0: which is ideal you know (laughs) that means you have nailed it which I'm sure comes back to to all your advertising experience and copywriting like you know how to how to talk to people Um, okay so you started a practice and it's going well how many days a week do you see do you see clients still two cool So what gave you the idea of then creating a course?
1: Uh, I think I had always kind of known that that's where things were moving and that, you know, that was really where the freedom was as a content creator, as someone who loves to create content. um, You know, having something that's mine and, you know, I'm able to expand my work to you know, more than the people I'm able to work with, because you know, at only two days a week, um, my wait list is—I think it was like at 412 last I looked. Um, so I really, you know, I don't take that many new clients every month, and and uh, they're on my list for about six months now before they can work with me. So I was really, um, and that happened pretty quickly. You know say like the first six months of my practice were kind of quiet um and then all of a sudden it just kind of blew up i had like one client by me who referred like four of her friends to me um and you know it it just kind of blew up at that point and i've had a wait list since last summer
0: someone brought this question up recently in my facebook group and i thought it was a good question to ask on the podcast when you got to capacity and you're like, okay, something needs to happen here, what made you choose the online course route versus hiring another dietitian to work under you?
1: Yeah, I just, um, and I know it's, it's sort of personal preference and some dietitians do want a practice with dietitians under them. Um, that's just not part of my business plan. You know, I, I really have no desire to manage people in that way. Um, you know, I have managed people in advertising, you know, I had big teams working under me. Um, I just, you know, I'm actually a good manager. I think I, I try to, you know, give my employees flexibility and empower them. Um, but yeah, it's just not in my business plan. I think because I'm still so against the idea of like a local office, you know, I don't want that at all.
0: That makes sense. And I think so much of entrepreneurship is just knowing yourself and knowing what you want and being okay with being like, okay, that's not the route I want to go down and that's fine. You know, I feel similarly about one-on-one work. Like I'm just like, I could do that, but I don't really want to. So I'm going to do all these other things (laughs) and that's fine. Even though it works obviously amazingly for so many people, If it doesn't feel right to you, it's okay to say, okay, I'm going to pass on that and do the things that feel better for me. Okay. So can you tell us more about your course? What do you teach and what's kind of like the structure? I'm not sure if the people listening here have a lot of context for what a nutrition specific online course might look like.
1: Yeah. So essentially it's the same protocols I use with my one-on-one clients. So it gives women all the tools they need to get the answers for themselves and know what to do about it. So uh, with PCOS, from, from a functional medicine perspective, we're thinking about the root causes of the symptoms. So my course is structured into six modules is a six-week course. Uh, there is an intro module that is the science behind the symptoms. So it kind of gives the overview. And then each module dives into the main root causes. So insulin resistance, inflammation, gut imbalances, and hormone imbalances. Um, and then the last two modules are kind of advanced tips and tricks. Uh, you know, sort of emerging research in PCOS and some things to kind of experiment with to take it to that next level. And then the final module is uh, keys to long-term success. So it's how to build your healthcare team, um, you know, what labs you might want to order, how to, you know, decide for yourself what a good supplement plan might look like for you, that kind of thing.
0: So, and I know uh, this is a question that comes up all the time online as well. People are like, what's the line? Like, is can I do this if I'm not licensed in every single state or all around the world? You know, what are your thoughts on discerning what quote unquote MNT is versus just education? You know?
1: Yeah. So my view on an online course is I'm doing absolutely nothing individualized. I'm giving the same plan to everyone. And, um, you know, I I have all the medical disclaimers on it that, you know, consult with your healthcare practitioner, and this does not constitute a client um, RD relationship and, you know, all of all of the things. So, So it really is just kind of general advice. I don't really see the material in my course as any different from, say, the stuff I put out on Instagram or my blog.
0: Yep. Or another example I like to use is healthcare professionals who write books. You know, it's like more like an interactive book where instead of someone just reading it, you're speaking it and demonstrating it more interactively. Okay. So it's six modules. And what what's the difference price-wise? Like how much would someone be paying to buy the course from you versus the investment to like work with you? Just, do you think- that's um, something that helps your business having the differentiation between pricing?
1: Absolutely. Um, The course is sort of my my more moderately priced offer Um, and I'd say I have a book coming out soon so that will you know kind of be the low priced offer for now Um, and I have those medium priced offers the course and um, I do do a, a Dutch test mini package where it's just that piece of it Um, And then with my one-on-one clients, it is expensive, it's three months, it's all-inclusive, you know, I do everything. So the course, you know, depending on what price point I'm offering it ends up being, you know, a a fraction of one-on-one um and it is it's the same tools that i use same methods same tools it just is lacking my guidance and the accountability and the customization and the testing and all of the things that i do with my one on one clients um pricing wise for my course i've done a couple of different things you probably remember i reached out to you back in like october or so um when i was like hey so I'm thinking of doing a Black Friday pre sale. Like, what do I do? Um, and I'm glad I did that. Uh, it's a little different. So I follow Amy Porterfield's uh, course launch methods. And apparently, she, in the newer version of Digital Course Academy that's coming out in September, she's including pre sale option because so many of her students have had success with it. Um, but she didn't recommend that. And I was like, I want to try this. I want to do like a Black Friday presale and then launch in January. And so I had 44 people sign up in um, at Black Friday, and that was I I offered it at half the price of launch price. So it was 247, and then I kind of had to do it. <laughs> like it was like no, okay, I've got all these people expecting something from me. Um, and then I launched in January at four ninety seven. dollars um, In January, I did do an upsell. So I did a VIP upsell where they got uh, six weekly calls with me, um, you know, to go along with the sessions. Um, I didn't, Like a group, a group call? Yeah, a group Zoom call. And I restricted that just to um, women in the U.S. Okay. And then what was the difference,
0: difference in price for just the course versus with the add-on?
1: Uh, the course was four ninety seven, and the VIP was six ninety seven. Okay, and did that seem to work? It did. It did. Um, when I relaunched in June, I don't know. I didn't feel like I I really wanted to put that extra time into it, so I I launched without the VIP. Um, so I just launched at. I kept it. I kept the price the same in June because of a couple of things going on, you know, we have COVID and the financial situation, um, you know, is in the height of all the protests and all the things going on. And I just, I didn't feel comfortable raising the price at that time. So I kept it the same and it, it went fine.
0: What was the size roughly of your audience during that very first, like the pre-sale?
1: I think I was at about, Twenty thousand on Instagram at that point, and my email list was maybe around fifteen hundred.
0: Awesome, that, that's a great numbers. <laughs> yeah, I just think it helps give people perspective too, because they're like, okay, got forty-four people, but like, in what context, you know?
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I also have a um, free Facebook group, uh, and I think I think it was around a thousand. The first time I launched. So that's awesome. Pretty decent sized audience. So then, after the pre sale, when the actual
0: course came out, how did you go about that? Did you pre sell it? And then, was there like a gap in time where you made it and then released it? Or was it like, okay, we start on this day and you were like making it live as it was rolling
1: out? Yeah. So, so yeah. So, what happened? um, Let's see. I did the Black Friday pre sale. I had signed the contract on my book uh, like two weeks before that and the book final due date was March 6th and the course was set to launch, I believe it was January 26th. So yeah, I did not have a single word written of the course uh, by the time we went live and I ended up with 70. I got 26 more sales during the live launch Um So yeah, I was simultaneously writing my cookbook and shooting all the recipes and recording each module each week. Uh, I highly do not recommend that. Um, COVID actually came at kind of an opportune time for me because I handed in the book and the last day of the course was March 6th. Um, and then it was like, I was running around, like taking care of all the things that had been on fire for the last six months. Like literally like my car registration was expired and I was like driving, you know, hoping not to get pulled over on the way to city hall, like to get that. Um, so yeah, that happened. And then it was like, boom, you know, like the next week it was like so much uncertainty. So, you know, and then pretty much everything on my calendar for April was just gone, (laughs) So I was really, really burnt out. It took a couple of months to to bounce back from that for sure.
0: And I'm not sure if everyone listening here is really aware of what a presale is. I'm not sure if I've really spent a lot of time talking about it specifically on this podcast. So just elaborate on like, what is a presale and why would you do that?
1: Yeah, I actually was kind of inspired. Um, you know, I know you do pre-sales in, in your business and I, I've seen you do it. And, I, you know, you've talked about the success of it in your income reports. Um, I know Heather Neal also does pre-sales or early bird specials um, on the RD symposium and the things she, she promotes. And I was like, oh, I would, there's got to be something to it. Um, so a pre-sale is basically selling the idea of something before it exists. Um, and you know, in in some some ways, it can actually help you validate your idea because it will instantly show you if there's interest in the product that you are putting on offer or not. Um, like I said, I do I do Amy Porterfield's method. So I had already done about 12 validation calls with my ideal uh, customers to, you know, run them by what I was thinking, get their ideas and their input. So I already felt pretty secure and people had been asking me for something like this for quite some time. So I knew it was going to sell well. Um, The presale allowed me to hire a little bit of extra help um, as well. I had my um, I have a, a mentee who's a student and she's a Canva rock star. So I had her do the layouts for all of the handouts, the PDFs for the course for me. So it it just felt more comfortable being able to do that, knowing that I had already made some money on the course.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. I, I found myself in a similar situation way back when, when I first started my functional nutrition library membership site like years ago, but I wanted to do it, but I had all these other part-time jobs that took up like all my time. So I was like, okay, if I'm going to take time away from those activities to do this, like, I, it has to be paid for <laughs> essentially, or I'm not going to be able to make my rent. So that was a big reason why I wanted to pre-sale the idea before I started it. And thankfully it worked out and <laughs> I sold enough to fund my my extra work for a month or two, and yeah, I, I'm a huge fan. I mean, obviously, it depends on your stage of business as well. I mean, if you already have a really thriving private practice and a huge audience, like maybe you could launch something and it probably would go well because <laughs> um, you've already done the work to build your audience. But especially for beginners, where you're feeling it out and you're like, "Do I have a good? Like, do I have a connection with my audience? Do I know what they want?" It can help um, in that aspect as well. All right. So you did the pre-sale and then the then you did a live launch mm-hmm. in January, you said? Mm-hmm. So it was the same cohort of people. So the pre-sale people were going to get lumped in with the additional people who joined in January, and then you were all going to start together, basically, right? Exactly. <laughs> okay. And then the people who signed up in that second offering – did they pay a higher price than the presale? People? Yeah.
1: So they paid the full price. So they paid four ninety seven dollars um, for the course. Perfect.
0: Yeah. And how amazing did, I mean, if you do the math on that, it's like, what, like a 20?
1: 26. Oh my gosh. Yeah. For my first launch, I was, I was really, really happy with that. Yeah. I mean,
0: it's freaking awesome.
1: <laughs> how did
0: that feel? First of all,
1: It felt really good. And, you know, same, I had sort of started dialing back on taking those one on one clients starting in November because of the book and because of how much work that involved. And so I really had no, like almost no income for like November, December, January. So to suddenly like make that much money in January was yeah, I was like, oh, okay, I can breathe easier a little bit now, you know, for sure, um, yeah, I was, I was really, really happy with it, there was such good energy from the group, too, I have the, a paid Facebook group that they go into, and um, yeah, it was just really, really good, really rewarding, and then when I started to see because I had no idea, you know, if they were going to get the same kind of results that I got for my clients with all that one-on-one attention. Um, so to be able to see the results that the women in the group have gotten just from the course is really, really rewarding to, you know, they're getting their periods back. Um, we have a couple of babies on the way from the January course already. Um You know, they've lost weight, their husbands have lost weight, they're like, you know, just feeling much better about themselves. That's really good.
0: And that just gives you all that, it's like the confidence snowballs. And then the next time you launch, you're even more excited. And then I think people can feel that. And then usually the second, third, fourth launches do even better than the first one. I'm sure that was exciting. (laughs) We're going to talk about that in a second. But before we get there, I just, still want to help people understand how do you create a course like what did you actually have to do
1: yeah so again i am a huge amy porterfield junkie i've done all of her courses um i signed up for digital course academy back in january of 2019 when it launched and that's how long it took me so it took me a full year to get a course out there um you know, she kind of breaks it down in there. You start with validation, you, you know, before you even outline anything, before you even write a thing, Um, and you meet with your ideal client and ask them. And so I met with, um, you know, some of my former one-on-one clients who I really enjoyed working with. I put a couple calls out on my you know, Facebook business page. And I was just overwhelmed with responses of people who wanted to talk to me for free. You know, basically, it's like, I'm not giving you anything. I'm literally asking you questions about like, what's your favorite TV show? And like, where do you shop? Um, So that was really good. And then you outline the course. Um, I really love, she has a a podcast episode. uh, It's probably like a year and a half back at this point um, called the Post-it Method where you put all of your ideas on post-its and you just stick them up on the wall and then you kind of organize them based on you know where you think they should go and then you go through with a different color of post-it and you stick on all of the handouts that you think should go with each module and each lesson so that really helped and i transferred that all into a google drive doc and then. um I'm not a big outliner. I'm not a big like outliner scripter. I kind of jump right in. So from that point, I just jumped right into the slide creation.
0: So you're just basically creating slides, maybe in PowerPoint or something like that. And then what tools did you use to record?
1: Yeah. So I had heard uh, Jenna Kutcher was talking about, what's the one that comes with a Mac? It's called like something. But
0: There's ScreenFlow, Camtasia. You know, the Mac
1: PowerPoint thing, is it? Oh, key, key, Keynote? Key, yeah. Is that? Yeah. <laughs> I never use that. So I had planned on doing that because I had listened to, Jenna Kutcher has an episode about how to record a, co- a course in a weekend, basically, and I was like, well, this sounds great. Um, so I had thought about doing that, and then the learning curve on Keynote was going to be too steep. Like, I mean, not that I'm a PowerPoint expert by any means, but I, I give myself a solid C plus in PowerPoint. So I was like, okay, I'm gonna be able to crank through PowerPoint. Um, it was a very, very last minute decision, um, but I ended up going with ScreenFlow, uh, which has been you know, relatively user friendly for someone with absolutely zero video editing experience. <laughs>
0: Yeah, and for that just basically is a tool where you can record your screen, right? Mm-hmm. Did you put your face in it at all or just the slides and your voice?
1: No, just the slides and my voice. I'm doing a pretty big overhaul for the fall launch, so I'll definitely be doing um, at least an intro video of my face. I'll probably stick with just the slides for the recordings. Uh, I feel like it's kind of distracting when you've got someone you know, talking on the side, but I'll, I'll do like a welcome video and maybe a, a celebrate video um, that I'll add to the expanded course in the fall.
0: That's a great example of how it's never going to be like a thousand percent perfect when you launch. And every time you do it, you're like, oh, it'd be cool if I could add this thing here and make it even better. Yeah. So thanks for sharing that. So how much time as you're building it, like how much time per week do you think you spent on it?
1: Uh, So modules was it because I know I was I know exactly what my schedule was I was writing the slides on Thursdays and Fridays um, and I was I was averaging about a 100 slides uh, per week so per module divided up between the lessons each each module had anywhere from five to seven or eight lessons depending on the topic Um, and yeah it would pretty much take me like a day and a half to write the slides for the week. Um, and then the recording parts pretty fast. You know, it 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 turned out being, you know, around an hour of content per week.
0: In my opinion, the best part of that is as you move forward and you launch it again, you probably don't need to redo all that. Maybe a few things here and there, but it's significantly less work as you continue to, to launch it again and again.
1: Yeah, I'm actually in the process right now. So, you know, Talking about my third launch, um, you know, I'm in the process right now. I just uh, rebranded and um, changed my URL, and I'm, you know, just about to debut my new logo. And my designer is also sort of making me a a better branded template for the slides. Um, So the I'm hoping that the course uh, this fall will be as close to done as I wanted it to be at first. But you kind of have to let go of stuff like that. It's like, it's just, you know, it turns into, I just have to get it done and out there, you know.
0: Yep. And that's another way that pre-selling can push you to do that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Because there is a date attached. (laughs) So, okay. So you, you did it in January and then... You did a second launch more recently.
1: Yeah, so my plan was to relaunch in April, <laughs> and you know that didn't really happen. Um, and then I re- I felt like June was a good time to relaunch, so. Um, I think at that point, you know, people have been home long enough. They're kind of bored. People were asking again, like, when are you going to be doing the course again? Uh, so, yeah, I launched in June. Um, we're actually, by the time this this airs, it will be done. But right now we're in the fifth week of six out of the course with the second batch. Awesome. And
0: that's a good point, too. So people could only buy it initially during that live launch in January and then the cart closed?
1: Yeah cart closed. I'm doing a live, did the live launch in June. I'm going to do one more live launch um, in September, October, and then I'm going to set it on Evergreen after that.
0: That's awesome. Yeah. I think that's kind of where my business is heading as well. I'm starting to dive deeper into the Evergreen world and it's so much fun.
1: Um, (laughs) More tech to learn. I know. (laughs)
0: actually I have a baby funnel going right now using some of those tools like deadline funnel and all that and and it's working I just know I could make it significantly better so all right so tell us because I know I am I fangirled out and I watched you (laughs) you had a Facebook live interview with Amy Porterfield and I was like oh my gosh I know her I have to watch this (laughs) and you shared how successful the second launch went so Do you mind sharing again for everyone listening here? Yeah,
1: sure, first of all, I was fangirling out too. Um, Like when, when I got the email from her team, I was like, Amy, freaking Porterfield wants to talk to you. Like I felt like Oprah called me like herself and I was just like, I can't believe it. Um so yeah so I get to share the numbers on there um I was again really blown away you know I had 70 in the first in January I was hoping for 100 I thought 100 was a good target for this launch um I ended up with 182 dang <laughs> yeah what's the math on that it's 66,000
0: Oh, oh my god
1: <laughs> yeah yeah So, and
0: for everyone listening who's like oh you know you can only do courses selling other business tools like this is a pcos course this is a nutrition topic this is in all of our wheelhouses so if melissa can do it you can do it too
1: <laughs> and i will say you know um the things i i didn't really anticipate going into the second launch compared to the first is how much easier it is once all those materials exist and your your pipelines exist and all your emails exist um and you know you're not you're building anything from scratch so I just felt like I was much more able to be present during the launch and um you know add in some more fun things like I threw in an Instagram live um and I was able to really of get in there, respond to more people's questions this time around because I wasn't so so stressed about the fact that it didn't exist yet.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was that was going to be my next question like, what do you think made the difference between the two launches? But it sounds like, yeah, that's part of it. Did your audience grow too? Uh,
1: I, between them, yeah, my, my email list is up to it was up to 5,000 after the launch um and it's at about 5,500 now I also recently tweaked my my lead magnet though and it's like gangbusters so um that's been really good I had a quiz I've had a quiz for a while um and I actually after I spoke to Amy it it just sort of spurred me to um do what i have been meaning to do, which is align it more with my course. I felt like the quiz topic wasn't fully aligned with my course, whereas now it is. Um, And it's just, it's been doing really, really well. I think I got 2,000 leads in like a, you know, three-day period or something like that.
0: That's amazing. And I know you're not fully evergreen yet, but I could see how that would be the perfect integration. (laughs) Because mm-hmm. those are the people, like the people filling out that quiz, are your ideal course customers.
1: Yeah, I'm actually about to start doing like a mini tripwire after the quiz too. So excited to to do that.
0: Can you explain what that is for people?
1: Yeah, so there's this whole like new trend right now about tiny offers as opposed to all the stuff we give for free, where they sign up and then get, you know, one of my original lead magnets was a five day meal plan. Um, so instead of that, what you do is you you kind of get their buy in by having them buy something really small from from you. So like a, you know, seven day challenge, or, you know, a, a 15 page ebook where they're paying, you know, $4.99 or $7.99, like the goal of the offer is not actually for you to make money it's for them to feel like they've invested something in you and then they're going to pay more attention to your bigger offers down down the road so um yeah i'm in in the process of working on that now so we'll be playing with deadline funnels and all of that i think oh and we didn't um didn't talk about i i host the course on kajabi um which
0: how's that been going
1: good it does it does all the things that that I need it to do it's definitely not intuitive um you know from a a how to do things I just you know I'm resourceful I just google kajabi how do I fill in the blank and you know figure it out there's always a lot of swearing here on tech days it's not it's not good
0: And Kajabi kind of markets itself as more of like an all-in-one solution, but are you just using it for the course? I
1: am. I don't want to leave ConvertKit. I'm really happy. Like that makes sense to my brain. The way that the, all the automations are visual and I can see where everybody is, um, that just makes more sense to my brain. Um, so, and I've heard mixed things about Kajabi's email capabilities. So you know it yeah. it pains me every month to pay the convert kit fees but i'm pretty um pretty ruthless when it comes to pruning my list so i try to keep it small
0: yeah and if you do any sort of email marketing you make that money back mm-hmm. relatively easily so
1: so in terms
0: of getting the sales, did you track like where your sales came from? Do you have an idea of like what marketing efforts were the most effective for you?
1: Okay, so here's where I'm a, a baby course creator because I really don't know how to, how to do that. I mean, I have the pixel set up in all the places I was supposed to set the pixel up, but I really don't know how to tell where they came from um so yeah that's going to be <laughs> something for something for the future i also um you know as far as like marketing of courses and what's recommended um i haven't at all dabbled in facebook ads yet because it's so so hard as a healthcare pro- professional to get an ad approved so um, you know because not only does everything you say on the ad have to get approved whatever's on your landing page has to get approved and when I can't even say you know you can't say PCOS can't even say women Um, so it it really makes it hard so I, I have to kind of figure out a workaround so that I can start incorporating Facebook ads maybe drive them to a blog post or something instead that's innocuous but has links to where I ultimately want to send them. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Or just get them on your list and then sell them in your funnel.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>, that <laughs> might work. That's, yeah. that's been my strategy so far.
0: I'm not super, I don't have a ton of tracking set up for my stuff either, but I just at the most basic level always put a question on the sign up form like, How, where did you hear about us? And then at least I can see where my customers are coming from so that's how i know that the podcast isn't super <laughs> lucrative or it's not the primary way that people are discovering me because it's much more common for somebody to say that they found me through facebook or google or something like that
1: i do track uh that metric in my one-on-one clients or um you know anyone who comes into my my uh, ehr portal get to ask that question and, you know, and on any given month, it's anywhere from 92 to 95% who find me on Instagram and the rest are from podcasts and interviews I've done.
0: You're really good at Instagram. <laughs> Thank
1: you. Speaking
0: of which, what it did, is that just something that you just, it came naturally to you or did you take a course?
1: I did take a course. I took, um, Rachel Paul's, uh, the, 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 algorithm course, and I did that, it's kind of funny, I had worked like a whole year, um, to get my, my Instagram up, and I managed to grow to about 2,000 by myself, which I thought was pretty good, Um, and then I took the course, and I actually did it over Christmas break, right before January 2019, Um, and I went from 2,400 in January, Twenty nineteen to twenty four thousand by January twenty twenty, and I'm currently I just hit forty thousand this week, so um, it just keeps keeps growing. I think I was doing a lot of the right stuff in like my content was good. It just wasn't getting seen, and um, honestly, like if there's one change I I attribute you know my most growth to it was changing my name. Changing my handle, and then that turned into a whole headache because then everybody knows me as the hormone dietitian, and nobody could find my Facebook page, and nobody could find my website. So now I'm in the hence pre- the rebrand, <laughs> hence the rebrand, and the refiling the LLC, and um, redesigning the logo, and all the things. So yeah.
0: I mean that's a great name, though, so maybe it's for the best
1: <laughs> it is. it's it's good. I mean, I love the name Avocado Grove Nutrition because you know avocados are my favorite food, and groves is my last name. And I just felt, you know, but it's fine. It shows me is, is what yeah. I say.
0: or the idea being that if someone sees you interacting somewhere else on Instagram and they see your your handle, they're going to be like,
1: oh hormone dietitian. Like i need that and then click on your your name exactly they instantly know what you do by looking at your name so you know how instagram will suggest to you um, other accounts like this to follow and so i really feel like that name change was was the biggest um you know driver of growth
0: so in your opinion do you think that really any rd is capable of creating and selling an online course or are there any like benchmarks or things that you should focus on to know that you're ready?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, you definitely want to have that one, one one-on-one experience with clients or with groups, um, so that, you know, you can get results for people because the results are what they pay for. Um, you know, the results are the reason why they take the course. So if you never worked with anyone and you just want to create a course, it's like, you don't really have any, metrics to know that that's going to work for most people where I know that most people who follow my methods will get the results that my one-on-one clients have. Um, There's kind of differing views on, you know, when to launch a course. Um, Personally, I think a course is so, so much work that I wouldn't want to launch it to crickets. If you don't have an audience somewhere like you know, if, if you don't have an email list, if you don't have a social media following, you don't have good SEO numbers, um, you know, where, where are you expecting these people to come from who are going to magically buy your course? Um, so I recommend, you know, especially in healthcare, because we can't rely on ads to get our um, information out there. Um, so, you know, have a, a decently sized audience, because I would hate to put that much work into something and then, you know, make $700. It's not a good return on investment of time if you're if you're not going to make that much money off the course.
0: Yeah, I would agree with that. And in my experience and just from hearing other people talk about their conversion rates, they're pretty low online. Like even if only 1% of the people who saw your offer bought, like that's not abysmal. Like that's 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 that would be right in line. I mean, maybe on the lower end, but still in
1: line with what online sales look like, like one to three <laughs> percent. You know, I think for my first launch, it actually, when you crunch the numbers, it actually is more like zero point two percent. So if you if you've got a hundred followers, that's you know not even a person. Um, right. You know exactly.
0: And, and so I know I was this way too when I first started out. Like if I had like a thousand people following me. I was like, Oh my gosh, you know, probably a hundred people will buy. It's like, no, maybe 10, (laughs) you know, and on a good day.
1: (laughs) Yeah, no, spend some time in your email metrics and see how many people are actually clicking over and looking at your things. And it's, it's pretty like, it can take you from feeling like a rock star to feeling pretty bad about yourself real fast to be like, wow, only 2% of people actually click rude of the link that I just sent you know
0: but I mean it's I also think normalizing it that's why you don't just send one email one time when you're promoting something that's the that's like driving home the importance of consistent communication and consistent promotion as well
1: same with Instagram I'd say that's probably one of the biggest mistakes I see is as people popping on just to sort of drop a promotion and run um and you you can't do that people don't know who you are when they do that they're like what is this thing i don't even know um exactly yeah you have
0: to build that relationship mm-hmm. which if anyone needs a great example of how to build a solid relationship with their their followers on instagram please go to melissa's the hormone dietitian there's like p- are there periods in there or is it
1: it's the dot hormone dot dietitian yeah. yeah i've actually gotten to the point where you know, imagine imagine one quick question times forty thousand. Um, you'll start to know what my what my life is like. Um, so I just I get hundreds and hundreds of DMs a week. Um, so I actually just last month hired someone to to manage the DM requests and my general. DM box, because um, I still, I was like, I didn't want to let go 100%, because I have all my dietitian friends I chat with on Instagram, um, so I was able to, to kind of organize it, um, and keep everyone I, I know in my primary box, and she handles the rest, so it makes me less angry, which makes me more willing to serve my audience, instead of, you know, resenting them, for sure.
0: So overall, are, do you like doing online courses? Is this something you think you'll continue doing?
1: Absolutely. It's one of those things where, you know, you get a little taste of it and it's like, like I already have my whole next course outlined in my head. I know exactly what it is and I'm just, I'm, I'm excited. Um, I think, you know, like you said, knowing yourself and knowing what you enjoy doing and what you're good at Um, and for me, that is content creation. And I know you and I both had the same article writing experience in the past. And, you know, um, write, creating content for someone else is not quite the same as creating content for yourself that and your business that you want to create. Um, I have so much more passion when I'm doing that. And uh, I just, I enjoy it. I have a knack for the health communication and breaking things down into simple language for people to, you know, really understand. Um, So yeah, that's really where my, where my heart lies is in that, that content creation piece.
0: Are there any tweaks you might make to the model in the future or things you might try or experiment with?
1: Yeah, I'm actually considering for uh, my next course, I'm actually considering trying a beta launch, you know, because it is sort of a, it's a niche adjacent topic, so I haven't spent a whole lot of time um, communicating about that topic yet, so I'm starting to, to filter more of that into my content, um, but I'm also still really focused on PCOS because that's the, you know, big live launch that we'll be doing in the fall, um, and my book, the topic of my book right now, so um, started, started filtering it in, um, so I think you know, doing a beta launch where I, I could, you know, keep it kind of loose and get feedback as we're going along um, might help me more with knowing what that particular audience needs.
0: Yeah. Can you just explain what a beta launch is? What would that look like?
1: Yeah, usually it's at a lower price. Then a full launch. Um, and it's done with kind of the understanding that the the people in your group will be giving you feedback as you go through it. So you'll be surveying them. They'll say what they like, what they don't like, what they feel is missing. You know, it's really hard getting testimonials on a course. I mean, I've had, you know, what are we up to? 250 people who go through my course now and I've gotten 12 testimonials and that was with like a giveaway raffle. (laughs) You know, I know, I know you just did one recently too, um, where, you know, it is, it's like pulling teeth to get feedback. So this way it's kind of baked in to the process and it helps you, um, you know, finalize your decisions to make the course better before you launch full out. Um, Usually you limit it to a small number of people. Um, you know, things might not look as finished, you know.
0: Yep. Kind of like an intimate, like they get, they get the benefit because it's cheaper and it's more closer access to you, but then in return for that discount and more interaction with you, then they have to give their feedback and it's expected. Like they, they can't just like be like, I want to be a beta tester and then like not ever show up. (laughs) Like it's more involved on their part as well.
1: Yeah. I actually, um. For this second launch, I I actually offered scholarships to, um, you know, minority women in the U.S. All they had to do was apply. They, you know, tell me why they're a good fit for the course, and I I ended up taking eight full scholarships for the course, which has been really, really good, and, you know, I'm I'm glad I was able to do that with this one, too, where I felt like the the group was big enough. when I was, like, comfortable enough with the process to do that. So that, awesome. that worked out really well. I hope to do more of that in the future, you know, once I build a team to review scholarship applications. <laughs>
0: well, okay, to wrap things up, let's close it out with, do you just have, like, maybe three solid recommendations for dietitians who are thinking about creating and selling an online course?
1: Uh, number one, do it. <laughs> um, number two, I would say, and um, you know, this might be a little bit controversial, but you know, look outside the dietitian field um, when it comes to coaches and mentors. Uh, I think, you know, we, by far, are not known as, like, the marketing gurus, so don't be afraid to, to learn from people who are unabashedly marketing gurus. Um, they know what they're talking about, so I would say, you know, that, that's one thing. I've kind of always um, gotten education from outside the field as well as, as inside. Um, yeah, third thing uh really start with knowing your client knowing your ideal customer avatar like down to what's her name how old is she what's her hair color is she married did she go to college where does she shop for her groceries like you know I've asked them like what books they read and and things like that like really really know this person and if it helps um you know, have a picture of her. Like even if it's one of your former former clients, just like have a picture of her in mind and then write or him or them, um, <laughs> have a picture of them in your mind and only talk to that person.
0: Yeah. So the idea being, if you can envision your ideal client as an actual person, it can make it easier to write to them instead of, Sometimes our voice gets lost if we're writing to the great void of the internet and it doesn't feel personal,
1: <laughs> yeah, or you know and and I'm sure you covered this a lot, but don't be afraid to niche like, you know, you was Even though my person is, you know, 32 years old and works in marketing and lives in a big city, like I, I attract customers who are outside of that specific niche um, because there's enough in there that speaks to them.
0: And bottom line, having done, I mean, I'm a huge Amy Porterfield fan too. Would you recommend her program for, I mean, obviously you had fabulous results.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I really, um, you know, I've listened to a bunch of them and I've bought other people's little things here and there Um, you know she's the one I never miss a podcast so that's what I really appreciate about Amy is you know it's it's actionable everything is you know the bullet points of what you need to do and that's why I I gravitate towards her more than than some of the other ones I I just can't with the fluffy positive stories (laughs) you know yeah so yeah, Amy's Amy's really my person for the business stuff. You um, know, there are others out there. There are dietitians who who do it as well. Um, you know, I've heard heard different things from different people who've worked with different people. There's a lot of options out there.
0: Yeah, I just took that advice and then I enrolled in Caitlin Batcher's Skill with Success program, which was a huge, ginormous investment, <laughs> and it's a year-long commitment. Um, but she's not a dietitian. She's just like an online marketing person. Um, I don't even remember how I found her, but <laughs> I was like, all right, this is what I want to do. Like the next step for me is to create my, make my offers evergreen and scale them. And I've, I, I could do it myself, but like how freaking long is that going to take me? <laughs> so I just decided to sign up. If nothing else, for the the kick in the pants and, like, the accountability,
1: you know? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's so many people. That's her thing is, like, scalability. Yeah. Cool. Yeah.
0: It's, like, she teaches you – it's basically, like, an evergreen webinar funnel. I can't access all the content yet because it's, like – she gives you, yeah, she gives you access to part of it. And then you have to finish that before you're allowed to move on to the next step. Um, and so I'm still on the part of like making my webinar, my sales page and all that, which already looks a thousand times better, (laughs) but there's different levels. So then once that's set up then it's like the bigger picture of like Facebook ads and going live in your Facebook group and using the pixel to retarget people and funnels. And I'm like, that's the meat that I really need to get to, so <laughs> I'm excited.
1: Yeah, that sounds awesome. I can't wait to see your new stuff.
0: Yeah, I'm just doing it for the SEO course to start out, because they recommend just, like, focusing on one thing, <laughs> and then then you can decide if you want to make more funnels after that, but yeah. Well, thanks for being here today. Uh, it was a wonderful conversation, and I know people are going to be Endlessly expi- expired, <laughs> inspired <laughs> by your story and all of your success. So thank you for sharing so openly.
1: Thank you so much. Yeah, I'm. I'm actually hoping with the third launch, this is a six-figure product for me this year. I don't. I don't see why it wouldn't be. So yeah. um, really, really kind of you know impressive and yes. and exciting.
0: Smashing the broke dietitian stereotype
1: <laughs> for sure.
0: Well. Thanks again. I know we went like five minutes over, and I'm shocked the gardeners were supposed to come today and they haven't come. So I'm like, somehow I escaped. My my podcast interviews are unscathed.
1: (laughs) Good. Well, thank you for having me. This was super fun. Like I said, like I never get to talk about my business, so it's like super fun.
0: And you're like so good at it. So thank you for sharing.
1: (laughs) Oh, happy happy to inspire.
0: Okay, so wow, right? How inspirational is Melissa? Please go follow her on her Instagram at the.hormone.dietitian or check her out at her website, thehormonedietitian.com. And of course, if you want the links to any of the resources we mentioned today, head to the show notes for this episode available on my website at theunconventionalrd.com slash episode 042. And P.S., if you want a more intimate place to connect with amazing digital entrepreneurs like Melissa, I highly recommend enrolling in my SEO Made Simple online course. This course teaches you how to build your audience through blogging, which can be one of the cornerstone traffic drivers to your online business. Melissa's in that course, along with over 300 other entrepreneurial-minded wellness professionals. So if the general turd community, that's short for the unconventional RD. I know, an unfortunate acronym, but we're rolling with it. Um, So if that general unconventional RD community on Facebook feels a little overwhelming at times, because I get it, there's nearly 10,000 people in there now. And if you're looking for a more intimate space to connect with people, get advice, share wins, and maybe most importantly, network, the students only Facebook group, which you get uh, access to after you enroll in one of my courses, is the place to be. So you can find more information about my courses at TheUnconventionalRD.com. Simply click on the Courses tab in the main navigation to learn more. And thanks again, and I will see you next Monday.